Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Technology, it's ever-changing, and sometimes fields like medicine are a little slow on the take to keeping up with the times. But as computers get faster, phones get smarter, there's newer ways to do things that we never thought of before. Dr. Ryan Sato is in the studio today. He's a general and cosmetic dermatologist. He's here to share his philosophy of high-tech, high-touch medicine. As always, during the show, we are open to having your thoughts and or concerns about medicine. Share with us what you're thinking at 941-3689. Toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Sato, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Now, you're a local boy. You grew up here, then you went to the mainland. You're bringing all that expertise right back here at home. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. Uh, so I grew up on the east side, uh, born and raised here in Honolulu. Uh, went uh, away to the east coast for college and then uh, came back home for medical school, John A. Burns School of Medicine. Uh, and then unfortunately, because Hawaii doesn't have a dermatology residency, you know, going off to the mainland again uh, for another four years and then returning home to open up my own practice. Fabulous. So where were you on the mainland? Uh, I spent, I was kind of all over actually, uh, spent a year outside of LA at Harbor UCLA, uh, then spent two years at Buffalo, uh, University of Buffalo. In and, New York. Yeah, uh, With Buffalo, like, New York. like how many inches of snow right now? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I wonder why you came home, yeah. yeah. And then after that, I uh, spent another uh, year in or- uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, so bouncing all around, but just, you know, very happy to be home and practicing here where I grew up. Absolutely. Now, dermatology, it's a field that seems like... There's a lot of stuff you need to see and, and visualize. And boy, I remember when I when I started here in medicine back in 99, we were still doing paper charts, writing things down handwritten. And, you know, doctor's handwriting, it's notorious and it really is that bad. So <laughs> as I've been practicing, we've sort of adopted more of a computerized electronic medical record system. But there are things that technology can do that that even now I think medicine doesn't adopt as easily as it could. But you've got a whole different setup. Now, you have you have a practice at Kuakini. Is that right? Correct, yep. And so tell me about how patients might find out about you. It kind of starts with what I never thought people would do. I guess I just I was naive enough to think nobody would ever, ever Google their doctor. Um, yeah, that happens all the time now. <laughs> so I'm going to have to, like, Google myself and figure out, oh, no, what's out there. But tell me a little bit about the whole, the whole experience for somebody who wants to come see you. Where does it start? And if they were to go ahead and find you online, what can they find about your office and your setup? Sure. And so, you know, I think it's a great part in that we embrace technology and really utilize it to, you know, uh, show patients what we're all about. Um, you know, it first starts even before the patient makes an appointment. Um, they can view our website, uh, satodermatology.com, see what the office looks like, see what we do, what we treat. Um, for better or worse, there's Yelp out there. And, you know, we just think that uh, we just use it for restaurants. But now, you know, uh, physicians People are, are on yelping there. their doctors. They are. They are. Um, and for better or worse. And, you know, you can see what patients uh, had to say. Um, of course, you know, with Yelp, just like with restaurants, that it's not always 100% accurate. Um, you know, we tr- try to do our best, um, like always. 
Um, but, you know, they're able to really kind of see what we're about even before giving us a call. If they're interested in an appointment through our website, uh, we utilize the online portal so they can message us as far as making an appointment. Um, once that appointment is made, that we'll email them a link so they can access our online portal and enter in all their information uh, with that, saving them a lot of time sitting in the doctor's offices uh, filling out forms. So, like, you could be sitting there at home, it's 8 o'clock at night, and go, wow, I never saw that mold before on my leg. I think I need to schedule an appointment. And instead of waiting the next day, calling on the phone, maybe getting to not necessarily speak to an actual person, but leave messages or get answering services, you can actually, right there, 8 o'clock at night, say, I've got to get this checked out. I'm going to go online and send a message to an office and book an appointment. So it, it kind of gives people 24-7 access, really. It does. It does. And I think that's a really nice part and a nice feature to have to be so accessible, especially with dermatology in the sense that people you know, can see their skin 24-7 and you know, something that uh, doesn't wait till the next morning that you know, they want to get on it, you know, start doing the pro- appropriate steps to make an appointment. And you talked about some of the forms. Boy, I've seen some of the forms. Unfortunately, I don't think some of them have changed in the 15 years I've been in practice, you know, this tiny little form where you check off your history. So you could do a lot of that prior to the appointment so that you don't have to worry about coming, particularly coming early or if you're stuck in traffic or whatever the case may be. You can do some of that, that groundwork before you even come in. Correct. And, you know, it just saves patients a lot of time rather than, you know, having to block off more time from their work day to come in and sit in our office, fill out paper forms, have us, you know, enter it into the computer. That when they're putting it in on their own computer through our online portal, it's in our system. When they come in, we review it, of course, um, but, you know, it's uh, immediately inputted in that sense. And it's secure. It is, yeah, all HIPAA secure. And that's one of those things that I think medicine was sort of slow to adopt technology because we were worried about that. And you referenced HIPAA, that's the Healthcare Information Portability and Patient Care Act. And what that specifically relates to is the fact that we don't want anybody else getting people's patient information. It's yours. We're not sharing it with other people. We don't want other people to hack into a system and get it somehow. So there's some pretty strong encryption that is set up for people's medical data. And so you have a portal that really keeps all that in mind so that nobody else can go ahead and log in and see somebody's personal history. Absolutely. I mean, we work with national companies to ensure that our information is healthcare protected. Excellent. So so let's say somebody's at home and they go ahead and they, they schedule an appointment and they message your office and they get a message back and they're told, okay, come on in, you have an appointment. What happens next? So So they might see a picture of your office online and that way they'll know if they've gotten to the right place, get directions, et cetera. But so they come into your office. What's the first thing that uh, that they do? They encounter a receptionist. Do they have to do more paper forms? Do they do stuff on the computer? No, if everything's all set on the computer, you know, um, they check in at the front. And there's still a person at the front. You know, we haven't replaced them. Um, no computers like that. Um, but they check in up front, and we pull them back. And, you know, they don't have to wait and sit and fill out forms. Um, our office is um, completely electronic that, you know, we have iPads and that when the patients are in the rooms that with the iPad. We're able to review their history and their charts, what they entered in. Um, the nice part with dermatology in that it's such a visual field and utilizing these iPads is that we're able to take pictures of, you know, different things that we're concerned about. Of course, if it's something that, you know, is going to need a biopsy, you know, we'll biopsy it and sample it. But, of course, we'll store a picture. But let's say it's something, you know, maybe we'll watch it and see um, that we can take a picture, have them come back in, you know, two or three months, depending upon what kind of lesion and how concerned we are. And, you know, just view it right there on our iPad rather than, you know, going off a description um, that, you know, it's not always 100 percent accurate. 
Sure. I mean, I think pictures are worth a thousand words, particularly mm-hmm. in a field like dermatology, mm-hmm. you know, trying to describe it and trying to visualize that. And your description might be something different than somebody else's description, yet it's the same thing you're looking at. Correct. So having that picture, then you can really monitor progression and you can really check to see how big has something gotten. Let's measure it. Let's mm-hmm. use our measuring tool. Mm-hmm. So iPads are pretty ubiquitous in your office. Oh, you definitely. have them mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and you said your office is electronically connected. So if somebody's in the waiting room, are they are they able to get on the internet and do stuff if oh, they yeah. want to? Yeah, we have a Wi-Fi there, you know, if people... Uh, want to access it as far as, you know, as far as their wait time. Okay. And so they're in the office, and let's say that you take a picture, you're monitoring one of their their particular skin areas of concern, and how else is technology able to help you to keep all of these things electronically in order? What else What else makes this easy for, for people to know that their information is being really well organized and, and up-to-date and something easy you can access? Um, I mean, just one simple uh, visual facet is that, you know, when you look at our office, you don't see behind the desk, you know, thousands of paper charts shuffled here, shuffled there. I mean, this is all uh, stored electronically um, and so well organized that, you know, it makes our life easier, makes the patient's life easier, and, you know, it keeps everything safe, which is really, you know, patient safety is what um, this is all geared towards. Boy, not having all the paper charts, it seems, you know, when you think of a doctor's office, it seems almost revolutionary to not have that. And yet, on the other hand, we've kind of all sort of moved towards that in a way, electronic medical records and trying to make sure that things are easily accessible. Now, you're using a particular type of an electronic medical record that's, you mentioned, dermatology specific. What exactly does that mean? Is it just set up in such a way that it's easy for for people who are in the field of dermatology to enter things, see stuff, and keep it all well organized? Definitely. Um, one thing that's really nice is that when we're taking pictures with the iPads, that it's uploaded immediately right into the note. Um, and so when we're sending this referral note to the referring provider or primary care physician, that they're able to see uh, what we did, you know, everything. You know, still have text and what we talked about. But um, also, to having the pictures uh, documenting, you know, what it looked like at that time. Uh, the nice part with these pictures is that we're able to show progress um, as far as uh, with treatment and, you know, if the patient's improving. So let's talk a little bit about what happens right here at home. Is there anything unique about skin issues here in the islands that surprises you that maybe was not as prominent in Portland or in Buffalo or in uh, the L.A. area? Sure. Uh, the biggest thing that I found uh, coming back home is with Asians and skin cancer and that people who are non-Caucasian in that they think, you know, I'm not Caucasian, I'm not going to get skin cancer. But, you know, skin cancer doesn't know race, doesn't know sex, doesn't know age. Um, and so that suspicious mole or something changing or not healing, you know, even if you're Asian or not Caucasian, you're not immune. So what would be your description of sort of a skin cancer? Now, there's different types of skin cancer. So let's let's break it down. There's basal cell, there's squamous cell, there's malignant melanoma. So let's start off with describing maybe my buddy, the basal cell. So what would that particular type of cancer look like? Because, you know, when we hear skin cancer, a lot of people go right to melanoma. Oh, no, it's that super bad one. But there are some other types of skin cancer for which you can still get a protective benefit wearing sunscreen, staying out of the sun. I mean, how many times have I driven through Waikiki and thought to myself, wow, look at that guy. He's got really bad sunburn. You almost want to go give him sunscreen. <laughs> you know, so what, what are the classic features of a basal cell? 
As far as a basal cell, uh, on appearance, we describe it more as a kind of pearly papule in the sense that it has this kind of shiny or pearly appearance to it. Uh, keep in mind there's a lot of different variations. Uh, one more common in darker skin types is that it's pigmented, so it's a little bit darker. Um, that can sometimes mimic melanoma in that sense. Um, but, you know, it's a very good point in that, you know, we think that uh, melanoma is the most common skin cancer, that I just need to monitor these black spots or these moles. But, but it's really not the mm-hmm, most common. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, basal cell is actually the most common skin cancer. So if you have some sort of pearly, pearly kind of a, of a lesion, I don't know what else to call it. Dermatology, you guys have all these great names for things, you know, <laughs> papules, macules, and this and that. So if you've got some weird spot and it's looking like it's pearly and it's kind of weird in color and it's growing and getting bigger, if it bleeds or if it, if it does something like that, not so good. Of course. Um, you know, something, pretty much anything, you know, if you're concerned about that, you know, the Give a dermatologist a call or your primary care doc a call and say, you know, this thing's kind of changing. I think I should get it checked out. The thing I really like about um, dermatology and skin cancer is that it's almost preventable in that sense where, you know, if it's caught early, resected early, taken out, prevent it from spreading, it's curable in that sense. It's unfortunate when we see these things and, you know, go neglected. So basal cell pearly kind of growth that sort of protrudes from the skin. It's Mm -hmm. not usually flat with the skin. Sure. But But definitely, as you were mentioning, um, you know, something bleeding or non-healing. Not a good plan. Get that checked out. Let's talk about our buddy, the squamous, squamous cell. Now, basal cells and squamous cells are actual cells that are in the skin layers. And when something makes them turn weird, that's when they get cancerous. And that's when they start to develop these weird sort of appearances. But these are based on actual regular cells in the skin. Correct. Okay, so squamous cells, my buddy the squames, what do they look like and why are they kind of ugly and gross? So with these squamous cell skin cancers, kind of same thing with the basal cells and something, you know, bleeding, non-healing, um, you know, that can be a squamous cell skin cancer. Characteristically, we see something red, rough, thick. And that would, does it have to be growing? Does it have to be getting bigger? It doesn't uh, have to be growing. You know, just so commonly I see patients come in and say, you know, I've had this spot on my cheek for, you know, two, three years and it hasn't really been changing. Um, and you know, I tell them that, you know, it kind of looks like a very superficial skin cancer and they can grow very slowly, albeit that, you know, it may not spread growing so slowly, but it can be very locally destructive. Does it go deeper in the skin? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Squamous cell skin cancers, they typically stay in the skin, but uh, they can spread at times and, you know, be fatal. And be fatal. And mm. that's kind of surprising. We don't think of squamous cell mm-hmm. so much as having that much of a, of a problem with it. But when we talk about taking these things out, you have to excise the whole cancer. You have to get all of it. And if it's spread or even if it's just locally becoming larger, the bigger it is, the more you got to take out. Correct. Correct. So it's always uh, so nice to, you know, have patients where, uh, you know, we're able to catch it early and, you know, really save them a lot of trouble, a lot of surging, you know, spreading as well. Let's talk about the big bad melanoma, the big one. Hmm. It's rare, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Who gets it the most? The uh, studies have shown that the most common people to get melanoma are Caucasians in Australia. Uh, part of it has to do with sun. You know, they get a lot of sun there in Australia, but also to something to do with genetics as well. Um, what we've come to find with all skin cancers is that it's somewhat immune regulated as well. It's not necessarily that you get a skin cancer and your immune system's broke, but we know that patients who are on immunosuppression, whether it be like a kidney transplant or a liver transplant, that their risk of having skin cancer is you know, exponentially higher. You know, you just said something that just made me smile because right before I graduated medical school, I convinced 
my medical school to let me go to Australia. And what I told them was, the highest rates of skin cancer in the world are in Australians, and I have to do dermatology down under so I can get really good at it. And I actually had a chance to go and spend all this time in Melbourne, which was fabulous. I had to go at a certain time of year. I did not understand at that time Southern Hemisphere equals opposite se- opposite season as us. <laughs> and so I went there with all of my clothes, so anticipating summer, and it was fall and winter. <laughs> However, Australia is the highest rates of skin cancer, and I convinced my professors in medical school that that's why I was going. No, it wasn't for the Great Barrier Reef and the, you know, Ayers Rock, and it had nothing to do with Sydney, Australia, and touring around. Of course, it was for skin cancer. <laughs> of course. And so it's interesting, though, because you mentioned that it's it's potentially a genetic situation. So people who may come from a certain part or a certain family where they have really the light coloring, the light colored eyes, the very pale features, they're at a higher risk of developing melanoma. Definitely. Other people can get it, but they're at the highest risk. Now, what should people do to limit that risk? I mean, every time I turn around, there's there's some other form of sunscreen that seems like it's bigger and better than the last one. Is that really going to protect us enough? We can definitely take steps to protect ourselves from uh, the sun and more sun damage and increasing our risk for melanoma. Um, sunscreens will definitely help, but also being sun smart, too. Um, you know, it's one thing where we live in Hawaii, and it's nice where we get to enjoy this weather all year round, albeit it's been a little cold recently. Uh, but to just take precautions to, you know, not overexpose yourself. Um, you know, definitely using sunscreen, uh, sunscreen SPF 30 and above. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of marketing where you have SPF 50, SPF 100. and pe- Yeah, what's with that? Because I want SPF a million. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I generally will choose to go out in the sun when the sun is almost going down for the day. So, you know, one of the ways to protect yourself is don't go out when it's really sunny. Um, but sometimes you really just want to be outdoors. What is the difference within all, with all these SPFs? Because it seems like once we change some of the ingredients in the SPF, the the numbers just skyrocketed. They went from 15, 30 to all of a sudden 100, 150. What happened? Well, it's unfortunately a lot of marketing, a lot of sales. Uh, the benefit between 30 and 50 is about 1%, so it's very low. Uh, the biggest thing with sunscreens really to, one, make sure it's broad spectrum. That means UVA and UVB coverage. The other thing, too, is really to reapply. Uh, sunscreen only lasts for about an hour or two. If you're sweating, swimming, you know, 45, 50 minutes, really. People get caught when they use SPF 100 and think it lasts all day. And, you know, after an hour or two, it's all that sun damage. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you put it on and it washes off. You don't put it back. Who cares what the number is? It's not working when it's gone. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ryan Sato. We're talking today about dermatology issues and how can using computers and technology help to make your experience when you see your dermatologist again a lot easier for you and a lot more accurate as well. You can join our conversation at 941-3689. Toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about sun safety, good skin care, and what we should all do to make sure that we can avoid some of the aging signs that some of us might be worried about. And staying young and looking young forever if we can. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Razor cartridges. A couple of strips of metal, some plastic. So, why do they cost so much? You have to grind steel such that it is very sharp at its tip and very strong at its base. I'm Kai Rizdal, another installment of our series, I've Always Wondered. That's next time on Marketplace. <laughs> 
It's from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. On the next morning edition, Israelis vote and Palestinians build a new city, which is also a political statement. Anybody that builds in Palestine, anybody that creates a new company is a political act because it creates jobs, it makes Palestinians stay on their land. I'm Steve Inskeep. Palestinians voting with mortar and stone on the next morning edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ryan Sato. We're talking about good skin care and how we can all make sure that we are skin safe and sun safe, particularly since we happen to live wonderfully in the beautiful tropics and in the islands. If you've got a call, if you had some weird skin lesion that surprised you, we'd love to hear about it. And you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Sato, we're talking about melanoma and sunscreen. There are rare cases where melanoma occurs where the sun doesn't usually go. Absolutely. Why? Wherever melanocytes are, and that's where uh, that's the same cell type of a melanoma. And, so you know, it's the can... one that produces the pigment. Mm-hmm. Correct, okay. correct. Um, Bob Marley died of a subungal melanoma, uh, so essentially a melanoma underneath his toenail. Bob Marley died of a toenail melanoma. Well, believe it or not, you think he'd die of other things. You would think. I mean, actually, he had a, his, yeah. you know, <laughs> he, he indulged himself a little bit in the... Uh, in the less than legal drug world, but okay. Yeah. So he died of a of a melanoma under his toenail. Yeah, under his big toenail. Wow. Oh. That I would say I was about to ask you what's the most surprising location you've ever seen a melanoma, but I think you jumped already and you already told me. Under your toenail. <laughs> That's kind of a weird place. So if you have any sort of a of a of a skin lesion and they talk about the ABCDs, you know, if it's asymmetrical, if the borders are jagged, if the color is funny, if it's growing, those are things to go get checked out. Definitely. All right. Now, what about non-cancerous kind of skin things? What about the the things we hear about? And part of the reason why dermatology has always mystified me is you guys have a whole different language. And you use these words that even in medicine I don't generally use. So what are actinic keratoses and, and what do they look like and how do you monitor those in your office so that you can keep an eye on them? Sure. Uh, actinic keratoses, or we'll just call them AKs for short. And Thank you know, God. AKs. I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. And these AKs are actually precancerous lesions. Uh, when they turn into uh, skin cancer, they turn into squamous cell skin cancer. So not the melanoma that we hear about, you know, spreads to other places, but a squamous cell skin cancer. As we were talking before, squamous cell skin cancers can spread to other places, typically stay in the skin. But fortunately, with these AKs or actinic keratoses, these are precancerous. Studies have shown that about 1% per year turn into skin cancer. Of course, you know, it always depends upon how thick the actinic keratosis is, how large it is. These studies are very difficult to estimate, but a small percentage will turn into a squamous cell skin cancer. Now, how do you get an AK? Sun damage. So it's usually Mm sun-exposed areas. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like? It can be very benign and harmless looking. It just ends up people come in and say, you know, I had this uh, red rough spot, this tiny spot. I mean, you know, you're talking three, four millimeters just on my temple. It's not going away. You know, 
scales up, crests off. I don't think much of it. Um, but, you know, when on closer inspection, it ends up being a precancerous lesion. And so what do you do about them? So there's a lot of different treatments for these actinic keratoses or AKs. Uh, one thing that we can do in, in office is treat them with liquid nitrogen. Uh, liquid nitrogen, very cold spray, using microscopic ice crystals to destroy that precancerous growth. Uh, there are different creams that we can use to treat these spots. Or, you know, if they're very thin, we can monitor them. Um, of course... I like to be a little bit more aggressive with these spots because, you know, they can turn into skin cancer. I like to treat them uh, just because we can't predict which ones would turn into skin cancer. It's just nice to kind of take care of uh, all of these spots. So that's the liquid nitrogen kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, treatment that you mm-hmm. could do. And some of the topical treatments. Mm-hmm. So uh, different topical treatments. One, we could use uh, 5-fluorouracil or 5-FU for short. Uh, this medication is a topical chemotherapy. And what it does is it attacks uh, lesions that are dividing rapidly. And that's what skin cancer is or precancers is that these cells forget how to die, essentially, by using this medication that we can halt these and kind of destroy these spots. Another topical medication, amiquimod, which kind of boosts our immune system to help remove these spots, as we were talking earlier about uh, skin cancer being immune-mediated. So it sounds like there's a lot of things that you can do in the office to really help to resolve some of these precancerous lesions and certainly, hopefully, eradicate them. But once you get them, are you more likely to get them again? You are. Uh, you know, it's not that all the sun hit this one little spot on your nose and turned that spot into a precancer. You know, your cheek got sun, your temple got sun. Uh, so let's treat this spot, you know, on the nose, but continue to monitor you for these precancers because you know, your whole face got sun, your arm got sun. So just because one area became troublesome, it could have been any area, really. Correct, correct. So you have to be careful with that. Correct. It's kind of a field effect in that sense. So if you had something like this on your back or on your arm or on your shoulder, it doesn't mean just put sunscreen there. It means, hey, you've had enough sun exposure. Be super careful. Be sun safe. Don't go out in prime sun hours. But maybe also make sure you put sunscreen everywhere if you are going out. Absolutely. Or like wear a shirt. Absolutely. I mean, I'm often the geeky person who's like, I'm wearing a shirt. I'm out in these prime sun hours and I don't care if I look weird. I'm going in the ocean with my shirt. But, you know, (laughs) I also don't come home really red because I've had that happen. So speaking of, how bad is it if you used to have like one or two sunburns when you were younger? Are you like in trouble for life? I wouldn't say trouble for life. Uh, You know, it means that you have had more sun, and there isn't anything we can do about that sun damage, sun exposure you had before. Uh, Just don't have any more. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we definitely can take uh, steps to be sun smart and protect ourselves from getting more sun damage, more sun exposure. As far as that previous sun damage, that uh, seeing a dermatologist to monitor these areas and monitor your skin. Uh, An annual skin exam is recommended by the American Academy of Dermatology, essentially for everyone. Um, It's something very quick to do. uh, And, you know, if you haven't had one, it's a very uh, fast appointment. Is there like an age where people should, if they've never seen a dermatologist, hey, you reach this age and, and you're in trouble, get yourself checked out at least once and then from then onwards? Is there a certain age or is it really individualized? More individualized. Um, you know, somebody who's, uh, let's say, you know, in their early 20s, but throughout their teenage years, they went to tanning salons, you know, twice a week. They definitely should be, you know, be seen every six months at least, you know, if not every year from that point on. Uh, somebody who's been pretty sun smart, no family history of skin cancer, you know, can push it out a little farther. But uh, a skin exam is, um, or a baseline skin exam is very uh, easy to do. Good at any age. Mm -hmm. So for those of us like me who are barely out of our 20s, 
and I'm kidding, and you can laugh. <laughs> Time to get your skin checked out. Okay. You have a really great dermatologist in that sense. Yeah, so. well, that's so not true, but uh, barely out of my 20s. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble for that when I get home. All right, let's see. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got Janice on the line from Kailua Kona. Janice, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks very much. It's a great topic. And um, I just wanted to say that in the last several years, I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed twice. Um, the first time I went to the dermatologist suspecting a basal cell, and they told me uh, it was nothing and not to worry about it. I should be happy that it was fine. And um, the other time it was a squamous cell that was diagnosed as a benign keratosis, I guess, and also told that I didn't have to worry about it. And both times, I, the first time I went out of my HMO, about a year and a half later, I just, you know, felt that something was still wrong, and it turned out it was actually a very expensive basal cell um, and required a lot of <laughs> messy surgery on my nose. And then the other time, it was a squamous cell on my leg, and um, I went to another doctor within the HMO who did the um, biopsy and you know, found out that it was cancer, and I just wanted to tell everyone that they should really self-advocate when they ha- if they have any doubt um, about what diagnosis they're getting, that they should follow up, and if it persists, they should definitely, you know, see someone else if they're not getting, you know, the treatment that they need or a biopsy at least. What a really important point, Janice. You know, you're going to have my, my stamp of honorary dermatologist for yourself. Because truthfully, you know, you just didn't feel comfortable with the first diagnosis. I'm curious, the first time you went and said, hey, I think there's a problem, and they said, no, it isn't. Did you have a biopsy done, or was it just by looking at it? No, he just looked at it, okay. and actually it was it was, uh, it was bad because he said that, he said actually, do you want it to be something bad? It seems like you want it to be. It was It was actually a, a bad experience, and I felt... Uh, I mean, someone could easily feel ashamed if they weren't as, I I definitely self-advocate. So I, you know, but I did feel, I had my tail between my legs when I left there, and I, you know, realized much too much later that I really needed to listen to me, and I was right, you know. Well, you absolutely were, Janice. A plus to you. You know, Dr. Sato, I'm curious, sometimes seeing is not really believing because you could fool my eyes. I mean, I I haven't done dermatology, specifically just dermatology. So whenever there's a lesion that I'm I'm not sure about, I'm like the biggest wimp. I'm like, see your dermatologist. I don't want to tell you it's nothing if it's really something. It, it kind of happened to Janice. Good that she advocated for herself. Completely agree. Uh, you know, I always tell patients that you know your skin best. You know, I'm seeing you for this appointment, you know, looking at your skin. But, you know, if you're very concerned about something, you know, I always tell patients, you you always know your skin best. In right. which case, you could do easily do a biopsy and figure it out and get an answer. And, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, good work, Janice. A-plus for you. Honorary Janice Dermatologist because you knew your body and you just, good that you kept going. I'm, I'm glad that you did. All right. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Eric from Manoa. Welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Uh, hi. Hi there, Aaron. How are Aaron. you? Aaron. Sorry, I think you said Eric. I um, did, but then I sort yeah. of hoped that you would answer because I was trying to read my handwriting, which I made a yes. point earlier. Doctors have the worst handwriting, and when they can't read their own, that's a sign of trouble. So, Aaron, 
Welcome to the body Hi. show. And don't let Thank doctors you. write stuff down for you because you never know what it's going to say. What can we do for you yeah. today? Um, I'm calling just to give the perspective of the younger person. Um, I'm 29 years old. And I actually got diagnosed with basal cell when I was 24. Wow. I got diagnosed about a year after moving out to Hawaii. I grew up on the mainland. And um, I have since had basal cell five times over the last five years. And so I just want to iterate that it is something that younger people can be affected by and that it's very important for you to do the skin checks like you were talking about. I actually go every six months and um, just... To be very proactive, even as a young person, it still happens. Important to note. I'm curious, did you have any risk factors, Erin? Was there anything going on that might have made you more likely to get it? Is there everybody in your family have skin cancer or, you know, were you I in... Do. Really? Yeah, um, I have. Really? Uh, I have very fair skin already as it is, so that was definitely already at a disadvantage living out here. But um, my grandparents also have had a history of skin cancer. Um, and I'm very careful about going out in the sun. Everything that you said, I wear a shirt, I sit in the shade. Um, but they said that it can still reoccur depending on all those sunburns you had as a kid. I could sit inside for the rest of my life and still get basal cells. So it's important, you know, to always take precautions, I think. Boy, what an important thing, Dr. Sato. Here is your person who's just a little bit younger than me. And I'm again lying. And so, you know, here's Erin in 29. We both said, wow, when you said basal cell, Erin. We were both kind of surprised. Uh, who usually gets basal cell? And, and is this unusual or should we all be monitoring? Uh, typically older people uh, will get basal cells. Um, you know, it's really that kind of cumulative sun damage that our skin has that memory. Um, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, thank you for calling in, Aaron, to, you know, highlight and alert the fact that, you know, just because we're younger that we're not immune, that, you know, skin cancer doesn't know race or age or sex. Uh, and it's good that you are taking steps to be sun smart and sun safe and even more proactive and, you know, calling here and, you know, Absolutely sharing that story. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, because just when I would think, oh, no, you might be too young to have that, and yet, no, uh-uh, if you have that history of sun exposure and that, you mentioned earlier the genetic history from people in Australia, if your grandparents have had a lot of skin cancer, if you're very fair, you know, take it seriously, get it checked out. Absolutely. All right, thanks for Absolutely. sharing with us, Erin. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, we've got Max on the line from Nuuanu. Max, welcome to The Body Show. Hi there, thank you for having me. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Yeah, I was just, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, it, it seems like, you know, especially with your last caller, there's a lot of younger people getting um, skin cancer and just a lot of different types of cancer in general. Um, and it seems to me that part of that problem might be due to um, the chemicals that we're using in our products, um, including sunscreen. And there's a lot of mainstream sunscreen brands that use some really, really uh, definitely harmful chemicals that are known to cause Alzheimer's and, you know, different kinds of cancers, you know, along with moisturizers and things that we use like that. And even the um, the detergents we use on our clothes and our um, detergents we use for washing. All right, Max, I think we lost you for, for a brief sec. But you brought up a good point, which is what are the safest sunscreens? And, you know, Dr. Sato, tell me, I've always heard that the best safest sunscreens are things like zinc oxide. It's topical. It doesn't get absorbed into your skin. It's sort of a barrier protective effect. 
what are the best types of sunscreens? Because, you know, I'm often attracted to the SPF 150, and that's just because I think it's so much better than the 15. Again, reapply and you'll be protected. But Max brought up a good point. What are the safest sunscreens? As far as sunscreens, prefer a physical block, and you took the words right out of my mouth, uh, you know, using something, titanium dioxide, zinc oxide, and these are the active ingredients in sunscreen. Um, these two ingredients are physical blocks in the sense that when you put them on, that they instantly reflect the sun's rays as opposed to a whole slew of other chemicals out there that they're chemical blocks, and what they do is to decrease the sun's rays energy before it hits your skin. So some of the, I can't even pronounce them, oxabenzolate, avobenzone, avobenzone, right. Those would be more of the chemical sunscreens. Correct. And so titanium dioxide, zinc oxide, that's more of the barrier. Correct. And if you can get barrier sunscreen, does it last longer? It doesn't. Um, You know, if you're going to be swimming, sweating, you know, uh, it really, um, you know, will last about the same length. Okay. So something to keep in mind and uh, certainly reapply. I think the big message here is reapply. And Max, you brought up a good point. A lot of younger people getting cancers of all types. I wish we could figure out why that is because there really isn't any any direct link between one particular type of detergent or one particular sunscreen and absolutely all these dangers that everyone would have. And so, you know, always going all natural is best. And for those people who are worried, you know, obviously if it's a bright sunny day and you're worried about your skin, why don't you do your indoor activities during the bright sun and maybe go out as the sun's starting to go down a little bit. Sure. And uh, and pick and choose your sun hours in a way that puts you at the least risk. Definitely. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ryan Sato. We're talking about Keeping your skin healthy and keeping your keeping your sun exposure to a minimum so that you can avoid long-term skin damage. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the latest and greatest in cosmetic dermatology because it certainly relates to lots of skin troubles people are worried about. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. On the next Humankind, the story of an Atlanta school teacher who grew up disturbed by her father's military post-traumatic stress, years after they became estranged, how she reconnected with her father. Also, a group of former U.S. soldiers returned to Vietnam to build medical clinics for civilians. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Discover what it means to be Irish. We're a melting pot of Vikings, Celts, English, Normans, Spanish, French. Hear why folk music plays such an important role in Ireland. The music is a lifeline. It was a lifeline to the Irish in the diaspora because it was the way they stayed connected to home. Through our songs, we we express ourselves as a people. And get an insider's look at Belfast on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ryan Sato, who has a practice over in the Kuakini Medical Plaza. And we are talking today about sun safety and skin safety. What's the best way to keep your skin protected so that you can hopefully avoid having some of those unfortunate basal cell, squamous cell, or melanoma skin cancers? And also just keep yourself looking your best for as long as you can. Now, before the break, we were talking about best kind of sunscreens. Don't be fooled by the numbers. Go for the protection, safest ones, our friends in the zinc oxide, titanium oxide family. And uh, and those are certainly things to keep an eye on. We also heard from Erin, who talked about being 29, having basal cell. And that's kind of young, but... But that's sort of uh, uh, something that we all have to keep an eye out for. And Janice over on uh, the neighbor island, on the, on the big island, Hawaii Island, saying that, uh, you know, she got tested and everybody said no and they were wrong and she was right. So good that she's an excellent patient advocate for herself. We've got Tammy on the line now from the North Shore. Tammy, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks. I just wanted to mention we don't know quite why it works, but my husband um, has a lot of sun damage and AKs. And I have one on my scalp, and we've been using um, Clinique Laser Focus. It's an over-the-counter product from Clinique, like at Macy's. And what's funny is the, they seem to get rid of the AKs um, while we use it. We're not sure if it has enzymes in it or maybe it's boosting our immune system locally, but it seems to work, and I just wanted to pass it on. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Tammy. I'm a huge Clinique fan. I started using Clinique, boy, back when I actually was not even not even lying in my 20s. And it's because their compacts had titanium dioxide. And, and anytime you'd put this on your face, you'd be giving yourself sunscreen. So I'm a big Clinique fan, and I love it when they have bonuses. And if anyone from Clinique is hearing that, bonuses are awesome. <laughs> You can find me at HPR. But all right, so I'm just kidding. Let's talk about some of the -the over-the-counter sort of stuff because I love Clinique. I don't know what's in laser focus, and I don't think if I went to the Clinique counter, they could tell me either. But are there some over-the-counter products that actually can help reverse some sun damage? You always hear about, you know, use the best whatever, and it's antioxidants, and it'll make your face look younger. Is that true, or am I just buying the laser focus to get a bonus. That's a very good point. That whole area of cosmeceuticals, and these are cosmetics and somewhat pharmaceuticals and being based on science, that it's not FDA approved, that their uh, proclamations and what they say they're going to do, it's not reviewed. This, They don't have to do any studies or any research that, you know, you make a pretty box and, you know, you get you know, a nice girl behind I'm the counter. I'm fooled by it. a pretty box. <laughs> And I don't care who sells it. If there's a little bonus sample, I'm there. Very so, nice. I, so, but could it actually work? It can, um, but like anything, that if you're looking for results, to really look at the science behind what you're using. That the, does this product have research or published studies showing that their actual active ingredients work, or is are they just selling you snake oil in a very pretty box with that extra bonus? And it's one of those things that some people can kind of put off and that, you know, this is more kind of floofy things. But, you know, people are spending their hard-earned money looking for results. And when you are, you want to make sure you're purchasing something that's going to work. So could Tammy be seeing AKs disappear with a topical over-the-counter product? So I'm not familiar with that exact topical. Um, as far as actinic keratosis, keep in mind only about 1% per year will turn to skin cancer. Some will just stay as actinic keratosis. Some will go away on their own. Oh, really? So they could resolve mm-hmm. on their own? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if Tammy and her husband are seeing them go away, it could be because of 
clinic laser focus. It might be because that's what their body's doing. It might be for some other reason, but hey, at least they're going away. Good. Uh, true, true. A lot of different factors. And, you know, it's good that they're aware of these spots and keeping an eye on them, making sure, you know, they're not getting bigger, painful, bleeding. Definitely, if it does get to that point, you know, seeing a doctor, primary Those care would be physician. signs mm-hmm. of concern. Definitely. Okay. All right. So I shouldn't run out and go get laser focus right now. Well, probably not. Okay. No. Well, it's not bonus time. So you know, <laughs> I'm probably going to wait until it is because I'm still going to be seduced by the pretty package <laughs> and the free sample. I'm just, that's just me. I know it. All right. We've got another caller on the line. We have Smitty on the line from Kailua Kona. Welcome to the body show. Thank you. I have a question that's not cancer related, but it's definitely skin damage from sun related. All right. Bring it on. Uh, Okay, I'm a 70-year-old male. I have been surfing since I was 17 years old, uh, starting out in California, and then when I got smart, moving to Hawaii. My skin is so tissue-thin that I could probably, if I tried, reach out and grab a hold of my forearm and twist a hunk of skin right off my arm down the all right, please don't do that, Smitty, because now no, I'm getting images. But it happens often enough, accidentally, bump into the corridor, all of a sudden. Is there anything I can do other than keeping piles of Band-Aids in my wallet for this damaged skin? I, it's, it's a great it's, question, Smitty. You're not the only person to ask that. I'm curious, are you on any blood thinners? No. I have, no I aspirin, no nothing? No, okay. I take no medicine whatsoever. Right. I, am, I am absolutely disgustingly healthy. Other than the fact that I have this, what the first dermatologist I ever visited looked at my skin and she said, do you surf? Do you have classic surfer skin? Well, that's an interesting diagnosis. I don't think I could find that in our diagnosis list, but but interesting. And all right, so so what happens to people as they get older, Dr. Sato, when they've been out in the sun for many years? And we've got a lot of a lot of folks who have been out in the sun surfing and spending their time outdoors then their skin gets so paper thin. Is there anything they can do to protect it from having that little bit of physical damage or trauma cause a serious problem? There, Unfortunately, at this point with the science that we have, really isn't that much we can do with that. Uh, definitely taking steps to kind of prevent us from getting more sun damage, more sun exposure will go a long way. As far as repairing that skin, there isn't that much. We could do... Uh, laser treatments. And what laser is doing is using heat. And heat, we can help to build, uh, stimulate the collagen buildup uh, to thicken that area. Um, I don't think I would sell it to, or I wouldn't sell it to somebody, you know, just specifically looking to decrease the trauma to the skin on the forearms. Granted, you know, if somebody came in with more sunspots and more cosmetic concerns, of course. Now, you know, it's interesting. I see a lot of people as they get older, and they do have these changes to their skin. And it's almost like they've lost a lot of the subcutaneous fat. And as a result, their skin is so thin, you can see blood vessels, you can see, you know, veins. I think it's cool. I can see veins, I can see (laughs) tendons. They're not so happy because they brush up against the door, and now they have a big bruise. As we get older, and our skin changes, is there anything we can do? I asked him about blood thinners because, you know, some people take blood thinners mm-hmm, and it makes them bruise mm-hmm. more easily. But in the absence of that, it's just kind of one of those you got to live with it things. Unfortunately, at this point with the science we have. Uh, you got to live with it. Yeah. All right. Wear longer sleeves. Do something to protect yourself. Is it ever too late to wear sunscreen? No. I mean, you know, I've seen people who say, listen, I'm 85. I just don't care anymore. And I've got all these skin things and I'm just not going to worry about it. But really, they should still keep an eye on sun protection? 
Definitely. Well, okay. One uh, unfortunate thing, you know, I've seen is that, you know, older individuals who say, you know, these things on my, these growths, these skin cancers don't really bother me. You know, I'm not going to live that much longer. But, you know, let's say you live 10 years, that skin cancer continues to grow, albeit it won't spread, that it can be very locally destructive on the face, destroying nose, eyes. So if it's anywhere near those areas, really, it's worth it to get it checked out, potentially get it removed. Of course. And are there some less invasive ways to remove some of these growths? There are. There are. Uh, as for If it ends up being a more superficial skin cancer, that we can use a topical cream to get rid of the skin cancer. Um, the couple of treatments that we had mentioned uh, as far as treating those actinic keratoses or those precancers, that can actually be used to treat superficial skin cancers. Unfortunately, when it does go deeper, that you know may need to be uh, excised or cut out. Well, we've talked a lot about skin cancer and sunscreen. Let's talk a little bit about the cosmetic side of dermatology. You know, a lot of times when people come in and they want to see what they would look like if they made a certain change, if they did some sort of cosmetic procedure, you know, when we started the show, we talked a little bit about technology and how does that enhance your ability to help people to see what they would look like without maybe their their mole or their basal cell. And, and I'm sure you use it for other areas as well. Talk to me about cosmetic skin care. You know, we heard, we heard from uh, Tammy about Clinique. What are some of the things that are going on as far as not treating cancer, but just trying to keep your skin looking as young and healthy as possible? Sure. There's, so, there's a whole gamut of different things that we can do to give us a more refreshed or younger appearance. Uh, I want to know what they are because I'm <laughs> lying all show telling people I'm in my 20s, and I know my younger brother's going to get me for that. So, you know, so what can we do to look younger? I want to look younger. What can I do? Definitely. Uh, Sunscreen. Okay, uh, <laughs> I know. I don't want to harp on that, but definitely that's the most important thing. Uh, of course, you know, there's topicals that we can use to help, you know, whether it be antioxidant-based or retinoid-based to help uh, normalize how the skin develops and prevent us from getting more oxidative damage, oxidative stress. Uh, if somebody's looking for that younger, more refreshed appearance, we can use different non-invasive treatments, whether it be Botox or fillers. What Botox is doing, it's just relaxing the muscles uh, in your face that are creating these wrinkles. Fillers, as we age, uh, we naturally lose volume in our face with fillers that we're able to take that same molecule that we lost, hyaluronic acid, and put it into a syringe and replace it in our face, giving us a more youthful appearance. So could you show somebody with like an iPad in your office, here's what you look like. And here's the before and after. We do. You actually do that. We do. We do. And it's a lot of fun, especially when uh, somebody's never had filler before. And they're always very scared that, oh, am I going to look totally different? Am I going to look like I had plastic surgery or Joan Rivers? But when we take the photo and show them what they look like, they're very surprised that, you know, it's just a younger version, a more youthful version of themselves. So really, you could... Just as easily, it's like the before, after, before you do the after, you can actually just show them, here's what you could look like, here's what you could do, here are some options for you. And if you want to see what it looks like, what a great use of technology. Just take a look right there. It is a lot of fun. Sometimes we do this on our iPad that, you know, I'm taking uh, in the rooms and sometimes, you know, they don't want to give me the iPad back because you know, the picture looks so awesome. <laughs> I want that photo. Yeah. <laughs> That's like I've been photoshopped yeah. in a good way. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, can people ever take the pictures home? I mean, can you print them if somebody said, I want to see, I want to have this picture so I can look at it later and know this is what I'm going to do? Possible? We can't print them, but we could put in the filler and make them look like that. Could you like electronically send them to them? Oh, no, we don't. You wouldn't do that? Okay. (laughs) Well, because you never know. I mean, they might all of a sudden think that that's what what their goal is. And if it doesn't turn out exactly like that, 
you know, that could be concerning, I'm sure. What are some ways that you think technology is going to improve medicine in the future? You know, I mean, I always think to myself, boy, if I would have thought 10 years ago that I would have people scheduling appointments online, like you mentioned, sending emails to the office, getting refills, electronic messages to pharmacies with prescriptions. I mean, when they first came out with this, I was like, no way. You mean we're not going to have to call in prescriptions? Ever. I mean, I almost didn't believe it. It was such an amazing, amazing <laughs> experience that I was hoping would work. And it and it generally does. Where do you see technology hope, helping a practice like yours in the future? I think one growing field, uh, specifically in dermatology, is teledermatology in that our field is mainly visual. And we're able to see a lesion. And it does help, you know, seeing in person, being able to touch the lesion, feel how deep it is, uh, kind of the texture of it. It definitely gives us a lot more clues, but we can get a lot of information just from the picture uh, with a radiologist in that they don't need to be in the hospital to read films of, you know, a different scan that a dermatologist conceivably could be in a different location reading pictures of different lesions. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's actually practiced. Really? Mm-hmm. So they're doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I've been reading this book recently, and it was uh, it's a really interesting book. The Patient Will See You Now. It's written by this uh, cardiologist, Eric Topol, and he's been in the news quite a bit recently. But he's writing about how patient-centered medicine really could change so that the patient will decide when they're going to see the doctor based on how they can use technology to interface with medicine and with different doctors. And one of the things that I thought was sort of scary is, you know, he describes in one chapter about how you could actually have a centralized database and you send your picture of your unusual looking mole, wherever it may be, and some computer tells you whether or not it should be concerning, go get it checked out or not. And I think, wow, I mean, there's still that need to see it, touch it, feel it, look at it. Is most of the stuff that you do in your office during the day something that you think requires you probably couldn't have done it unless you physically saw that mole? Or have you even noticed in your own practice that things are moving towards more towards I could have done that over the picture, computer, internet if I needed to? I do like the idea of teledermatology and it being practiced, and I think it allows for a wider access of care. However, let's say, you know, that mole does need to be biopsied, uh, and who's going to perform the biopsy if there's no doctor there? Um, And so being in person is able to allow a wider range of things that we're able to, and essentially everything that we're able to do, rather than just giving an opinion based upon one picture that we're not able to touch the lesion, take everything in context that, you know, some people just make funny moles. And if you show me a picture of one funny mole on this person that, okay, you know, uh, if I just saw that mole, I'd say it's kind of funny. But let's say you see all of their moles and they're all kind of funny. Okay, you know, it's just their normal moles and how they make moles. Sure, it could change when you have a chance to look at the whole entire picture and mm-hmm. the whole person. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody came in for one mole and then you take a look and go, you know, you're so worried about this one on your right arm, but you have yet to see your left shoulder because that's looking pretty darn weird and I've got to biopsy it. I mean, does that ever happen? All the time. All really? the time. Yeah. Come in for one thing and you find the pr- trouble is somewhere else. At countless times, you know, people are concerned and, you know, uh, it's a great thing in that they're coming in, they're concerned about something, they're taking action upon their skin. Um, and when they're in that, you know, we can give them a full, whether it be they're just coming in for one uh, lesion, that we can give them a full skin exam, a full skin cancer screening. And so many times, um, fortunately, unfortunately, that, you know, we can pick up things that they haven't noticed that ends up being skin cancer. 
Well, and that's an important thing you mentioned. You're never too young to have a full overall skin exam. And if everything looks good and you're told, come back in a couple of years, you're fabulous, that's great. But if not, better to get it checked out early. Definitely. Where do you see dermatology going in the next, I don't know, 10 years? Do you think we're going to get better at protecting ourselves from skin cancers? Are we going to get better sunscreens? Are we going to get, you know, I'd love there to be some like sunscreen pill where you just take it and like you can go out in the sun and you don't have to try and apply it behind your ear or that space between, you know, the back of your knee that you always forget and always gets red. I mean, are we ever going to get to the point where other than topically, we can find a different way to protect our skin from the sun? Or am I just dreaming? Well, I hope so. Um, that, you know, things can be easier for people that, you know, we're able to prevent skin cancer. Uh, now that uh, we have clothes that have SPF in them and SPF rated that instead of having to use sunscreen, that wearing this, you know, long sleeve shirt will give your arms that protection that, you know, they weren't getting when you weren't applying sunscreen because you didn't like it. But doesn't, could wearing any type of a shirt essentially protect you from the sun? Or can the sun's rays come through those shirts because I'm naive enough thinking I wear the shirt and I'm protected and I don't look red but am I just naive it definitely goes through Um, a cotton t-shirt probably provides about an SPF 7 or 8 and that's really not that much Um, a lot of sun damage can occur especially if you're out for a long period of time so just because you're wearing a cotton shirt but they now have SPF rated clothing correct correct so you could actually get an SPF of like 30 or 50 or Mm -hmm. something else Mm -hmm. in your clothes Mm mm-hmm What about hats? I mean, you know, skin cancer, one of those areas we're always told is, you know, for men, like in the back of their ear, because who checks there and who applies sunscreen back there? But like, what about some of the SPF rated hats? Are those important? Are those helpful too? Definitely. Uh, The more sun protection, the better. Uh, With hats, I recommend a wide brim hat, uh, especially with males that, you know, if your hair is short that you, when you apply sunscreen, you don't think about applying sunscreen on your ears. But so commonly we see skin cancer on the ears because they go unprotected. Uh, So getting that extra brim or coverage will definitely go a long way. Now, what if you tan? If you naturally tan, are you immune or you think you are, but you're not really? Unfortunately, it's kind of the latter in that, you know, the more tan you're getting, it's just evidence of more sun damage, more sun exposure, more increased risk for skin cancer, also increased for photoaging. What we've come to find is UVA plays a lot in photoaging, you know, how a person looks older. And essentially, if you think of the skin on your bottom, that if your face and arms got as much sun as your bottom, that's how your skin would look. It's not a different age of your skin. It's just sun exposure. So really, one of the biggest issues is being out in the sun. Mm -hmm. Protect yourself at all costs if you can. And try not to go get that really cool tan that we used to all think was so nice when we were younger. And really, long run, not worth it. Be sun smart. Be sun smart. And don't be fooled by fancy packaging and free little bonus samples. (laughs) You've blown away my plan there, Dr. Shanto. Okay, so if people wanted to find you and Google you or Yelp you or any of the above, what are they looking up? Just putting your name in? Honolulu, is that how they find you? Pretty much. Uh, SatoDermatologies.com uh, is our website. Uh, you can Google Sato General Cosmetic Dermatology or Sato Dermatology. Uh, and, you know, all those websites uh, should pop up. And the phone still works? Yeah. All right. What's the number? Uh, 585-9222. 
All right. We've got a number. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Oh, thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Going to go out and get myself some sunscreen. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show, Monday at 5.